0: removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, A State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 994. Say if you're in the Denver surrounding areas or you don't mind driving a long way, uh, I'll be in Denver uh, April 11th through 13th, which is... Wow, like day after tomorrow from the time this podcast goes up. Yes, Thursday, April 11th, two shows Friday, April 12th, two shows Saturday, April 13th. Tickets are going fast, kiddo. So uh, go to ComedyWorks.com. I will be at the Comedy Works in Larimer Square, which is uh, one of my favorite clubs in the country. So come on down. And uh, if you got a pop toy and you spot me and you find me, I'll sign it. Uh, Actually, I'll pretty much sign anything, even if it's not mine. (laughs) It's not my book or toy. I'll sign anything. I don't care. And now let's hop over to ye old ID10T community corkboard. Events at ID10T.com is how you make the corkboard. <laughs> that was a weird thing to call up. I just had this really weird memory of, you know, my parents, who are both huge football fans, obviously would watch a lot of football, and I just remember these, you make the call. And I never watched any of it, but I always just, that cadence in my head. I guess you would make the call, right? They would, like, tell you, uh, this play happened. And then the the referee had to make a call. But you make the call! Let's put it on you! Um, so I guess that's let's put it on you events at ID10T.com Keith writes I just wanted to raise awareness for an awesome event coming up in Philadelphia there's a wonderful organization called for Pete's sake cancer respite foundation FPS sent my wife and I on the best vacation we've ever had to give us a break from the exhaustion of dealing with cancer and doctor visits this April 14th they are having a walk at Citizens Bank Park to raise money for sending even more families dealing with cancer on great vacations like my wife and I received We'll be walking and forming a team, Keith and Kay, uh, Kat's party pack. If you'd like to join us for this walk, or even if you'd like to donate to a wonderful cause, please check out takeabreakfromcancer.org. Uh, that is wonderful, Keith, and I'm so uh, I hope I hope you're doing okay, and uh, I send you many hugs, and I'm glad that you were able to to go on a vacation uh, with Kat, and wonderful that you're walking in this. Uh, also uh, on the cork board, Alan Sanders. Uh, and uh, w- this is from Walt Alan Sanders and uh, Walt This is not even have his last name I just say like Walt You know Walt It's Walt uh, He writes My friend Alan Sanders and I have a podcast Where we break down the movies of Gene Wilder One minute at a time <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard <laughs> Oh my god We went through Young Frankenstein last season And working through Blazing Saddles now Check out The Wilder Ride on any podcatcher or at thewilderride.com. Walt and Alan... That brings me so much fucking joy that you are doing that. I will absolutely (laughs) listen. I'm so happy right now that this exists in the world. Thank you for making that. Good job. Again, events at ID10T.com. For whatever thing you're making, this episode is David Harbour, who is promoting Hellboy, which is in theaters April 12th, and on season three of a show called Stranger Things, which the kids apparently watch. Uh, That's on July 4th, America Day on uh, the Netflix. So um, David, I love this guy. Uh, we met at Comic-Con a couple of years ago down in San Diego and uh, we just hit it off. And he's a fucking hilarious dude. And not only... Uh, I, I'm going to say that this is one of my favorite episodes of the podcast that we've ever done. I'm going to put this in the top 10 for me um, because it. not only is he hilarious and we totally connect on a lot of stuff uh, but he speaks very openly and earnestly and honestly about mental illness in a way that I think is important and um, and the whole time you know even as serious or, or even when the conversation um uh, f- finds a, a depth to it um, It's like the overtone of everything Is still really 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 Wonderful and fun And so I really hope you enjoy listening to this As much as, uh, as I enjoyed talking to Dave So uh, support him uh, Season 3 of Stranger Things July 4th Hellboy in theaters April 12th This episode of the podcast Speaking of support is brought to you by Squarespace Hey you've got an idea In there it's stuffed in your back pocket you got Moxie Kid, I like that about you. Showcase your work, blog or publish content, turn your cool idea into a new website with Squarespace. You're gonna get beautiful templates created by world class designers. You're gonna get powerful e commerce functionality allowing you to sell anything online and the ability to customize the look and feel settings, products, any, and more with just a few clicks. This is a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, and analytics are gonna help you grow in real time. 24 7 award winning customer support. So make it yourself. Easily create a website uh, by yourself using Squarespace. Uh, you're ready to start a new business, by the way. That's a great way to do it, too. Head over to, uh, to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T, and you're going to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast number 994 with Mr. David Harbour. Here we go, stranger things. I like these stranger things. Normal things are fine, but I prefer the stranger ones. Now we roll the stranger things. Initiating T protocol. I'm so delighted that you're here. I uh, I adore you for so many reasons, uh, the least of which was just to set just as some setup. A couple years ago, you came up to me at a comic con event and said, "Shipmates." And I'm like, "Wait,
2: this is all I want to talk about." You realize <laughs> I'm so happy that you started off with it because I was like, "Before we get to me." I'd like the listeners of this particular podcast to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, do people know? Do people recognize you for this? Do, I mean, you know, it has to be old, old guys like me.
1: Yeah, Shimates <laughs> is one of those weird. <laughs> Shimates is one of those. It was a weird slice of time that a handful of people. Not everyone remembers it. It was not a big show, but a handful of people, for whatever reason, are like, "Oh my god!" And like, I don't know
2: what it was. <laughs> it was you. It was you. There was. Because it used to come on, God, I remember it was like, because I've been living in New York, 24 years old or something. My roommate Sky and I would watch it. I think it was like 11 p.m. on the CW. Something. Yeah, it was was syndicated, so every
1: every market had its own channel. But
2: there was a whole breed of those shows. Like I think it came on very close to
1: Cheaters and Blind Date. It was Blind Date. Blind. Oh, Blind Date was right before it. Yeah, that guy, Roger, Roger, Roger Lodge, Lodge. Roger Lodge, and then also Fifth Wheel with I believe Aisha. Aisha, Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So there were a
1: series of reality dating shows that came out around the same time. Of which,
2: (laughs) Shipmates. Was the creme de la (laughs) creme. The top of the top. I mean, and only because it was such a ridiculous concept. And you were young... And like a punk about the whole thing, like you would come out, and clearly you had one producer like egging you on, and another going like Chris, please don't, watch
3: <laughs> yeah, that joke. and
2: you, not and that it was like, off. and it was like you were like, right, welcome to awesome mates, <laughs> like just making fun of the show as you went on. I we loved it so much, we would watch it religiously. It's fun, you know.
1: That was yeah. I I had. Uh... Shipmates kind of piloted me through the end. Like, it took me up to the edge of right... When I got like I was drinking all through shipmates, clearly. and then I got Is sober right after. Yeah, yeah, no I got way. sober right after shipmates. So, oh, see, so
2: I you should go back. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be that guy, but like, uh, let's go. Let's bring in the tequila go know? there was an edge. But, now, I worry about that too. Don't the, you worry do you yet? ever worry about that? About what? About like losing your edge a little bit around that stuff? Nah, no, nah, uh-huh. it doesn't.
1: I think that's a, that's a myth. Well, because I worry about it for
2: you. Because I appreciate the shipmates. That. The worst on well, that, you
1: know, it was funny <laughs> the, because what you said was pretty right on. Which you, which you go, you go. I just loved. You were so miserable to be there, <laughs> so and in a way, I was. But in a way, it, so you know, singled out was ninety-five to ninety-eight, and then ninety-eight to like two thousand one, which is when shipmates happen. Um, it was really like just trying to get work, and I was, you know, I was really discovering the true um, uh, uh, debt limits of my alcoholism. And uh, <laughs> I was really expl- taking it as far as I could go. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Shipmates, the offer came in for Shipmates, and Blind Date was very popular. And I was like, no, I don't want to do a reality dating show. By the way, I had no other job prospects. Yeah. And so as a result, they just kept offering more. and more. Yeah, it, Like It doubled, and then it doubled. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I was like, Shit, I don't have any money. What am I doing? And <laughs> so I
2: said... integrity starts to melt it's, Yeah, then, then you're like, well... Gets replaced can, with dollar signs. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And
1: so I said to them, look, I will do the show, but you have to let me say whatever I want. Like, I need oh, to be wow. able to make fun of the show. And they said, sure. And they let me. And the only time they ever said... It, obviously, I couldn't swear. But the only time the producer ever put his foot down... Was that I wanted to compare one of the contestants to Mussolini. And he was like, he was this old Southern guy. He was like, no one's going to know who that is. And I go, (laughs) they should. And that was the only reason he didn't he was like, No, they're not gonna know that is. Meanwhile, I was making all these Harry Potter references and 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 shitting on the show and all of that was fine, but Mussolini they drew the line. Oh in.
2: my god, that's surprising and not even as an ideological point. Not no. even the fact that like he was a fascist dictator. No. That's a cruel thing to no, say. Know who that is. That, no one's gonna get the reference Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm like Oh my God. That's yeah. so funny to me, like this whole trajectory. I'm very interested in the trajectory of careers of you know, comedians, actors, that whole thing, that go into, like, the hosting sort of genre, right? Yeah. Like, like I was watching this Perfect Bid um, mm-hmm. uh, documentary, and it's about a oh, guy the, on The, the Price, Price is, right. is Right. Yeah, it's a great documentary. Yeah, but it's like, even that guy, the guy who was The Price is Right... Uh, guy Bob Barker, or yeah. whatever, like him starting sort of in because it was a different world back then. It was like television, and like, yeah, you know, you're sort of in television, and then you become like a, but becoming like a game show host mm-hmm. sort of thing, yeah, is like a whole weird world. It is, like. and and
1: and and having done, I mean, I've hosted almost every outside of like a sports show, which I don't know anything about. I've hosted almost every kind of. I mean, like I've, I have like, there's just a. Rotting graveyard of failed <laughs> shows and pilots. I've done no it. way pilot
2: we, game show like pilot. Things oh my like god, that? so
1: many. No way in twenty five years. Yeah, of course. And so, God, I need this footage. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really bad ones. I mean, if you, if you think Shipmates was like there, there are a couple that you're like, why did this get made? But um, uh, yeah, it's it, it, the trajectory, and I and I want to kind of loop it back to you and yeah, okay. like as far as acting goes because at a certain point
2: you because know, I got the offer for shipmates too and we should discuss <laughs> it because it's a very good offer oh no, sorry it would be funny if you're like Lube I turned back. down
1: shipmates <laughs> I turned down stranger things arguably was not a good choice on my part I really probably it's should a have taken it to totally it's different a different way, way to go totally different way to go but you know I mean listen I I went through a uh, hundred pilot seasons and I was trying yeah, to I did, okay. I did sitcom pilots and I wanted to be a your actor. initial thing
2: was a stand up correct it was stand up and then
1: like you like, know, did you take acting classes? I, a couple, not many, but okay. I, but yeah. in the '90s, but your
2: trajectory was more like I'm a writer, comedian sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and so in the '90s, you know, everyone was trying to recreate Friends, and so I was uh, I was auditioning for all these Matt Perry roles, and I was falling into this into this space between, oh, he's not like handsome enough to be the leading man, but he's right. not like <laughs> shitty looking enough to be the shitty friend, and so And this is where it circles back to me. And then, <laughs> <laughs> the audition process I realized Kind of like what Steve Martin said in his book Like I knew that there were just people Who were better at auditioning Better at sitcoming, Better at acting better. I mean I'm pretty good once you get me on a set but the audition process just killed me, and
2: so really, I, yeah, I just oh, wasn't—I wasn't good at it. And so, Why you would get nervous, or are you just bad at uh, revealing your talents in the setting? Or? I think I just got all in my head. Yeah, yeah. With You'd auditioning,
1: it. I was overthinking yeah, it, yeah. and also with hosting and stand-up. At a certain point, I kind of realized I kind of like being myself, and I kind of right. like the freedom to move rather than being sort of locked into someone else's thing. And I think that's what it came down to. Did you ever do, like, groundlings or improv classes or anything like that? Never.
2: Never. I'm terrified of that improv stuff. Really? I mean, I, I now tend to like improv within... Uh, acting or within, you know, scenes. Yeah. But I, I don't like the groundling stuff because I feel like the focus is to be funny.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that, uh, ugh, that just shuts me down so hard. But you are funny, though. That's and weird yes, to me. when I don't care. Right. But when I care and w- or when I feel like there's a directive or a goal, yeah, everything in my being, in so many ways, I mean, it's probably why I've been wildly unsuccessful for so <laughs> long. Because there's something in my being that just recedes and just goes inside of myself. I'm so... I, I I hate that. I hate the pressure to I mean that's part of my sort of what I consider my artistic nature is to like be not results oriented. You know, right. What I mean? Which to is be, the
1: best way to be. Right. Because right. you can't really be disappointed if you're not if you're process oriented you everything has a process well, I like
2: that the fact that you can't be disappointed you can't <laughs> you can't really think you're terrible it's true but yeah. no
1: but but like if you're not result oriented because you can't control the result you can't control if you're gonna get jobs you can't control if those jobs are gonna yes. be hit shows exactly I mean when exactly. you did, when you do Stranger Things where I'm like okay we're gonna do this Netflix show who the fuck knows what's this is oh gonna be, yeah. yeah
2: oh yeah beyond who the fuck knows I don't I even mean... think Netflix initially expected it
1: I think they were just like <laughs> let's just put it on and see what happens and then within an hour people were like have you fucking seen the
2: show Like it. it it was a phenomenon. Well, that's exactly what happened. Although Netflix would claim that that was all master plan, masterminded by their way of wanting people to have ownership of the show. Like, because I was terrified, like the week the week before it came out, there were no ads. Right. Like, on buses, billboards, and, like, you, you walk around New York, and it's just, like, you know, at the time, it was, like, House of Cards, Orange is New Black, or all these huge Netflix shows, just so much money. And I had a friend who's on a very popular, like, CW show, and was like, yeah, man, they're burying it. Like, they don't like it, they're burying it. And I was like, oh my God, my big (laughs) shot. And I've blown it, and we've all blown it. And then, and then I was like, And now they claim, and the show came out, and what's so gratifying is that it was a grassroots success. Yeah. That, like, it wasn't hyped to death. It was, like, people just grabbed the show and were, like, this is the... And now Netflix sort of... I was, like, I went back to them, some of the people, and I was, like, why didn't you guys advertise the show? And they were, like, well, that's our way of letting people take ownership for the show. I was, like, that's very clever. And also really cost-effective, isn't it? Mm, Can't they just
1: say, like... You know what? It just was a hitch. We didn't see it coming, and it just was
2: a yeah. hitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, because they claimed to have been behind it, but then, like, that was the thing. Like, it, it was a weird opening. But that's the thing that makes it all the sweeter, is the fact that it wasn't hyped at all. People didn't know about it. Right. And I think it did have this thing for people where they were like, whoa, there's just this gem out there that, like, I can tell my friends about, and nobody shoved it down my throat. Yeah, that's that's the other part of it, too. I think especially
1: the kind of audience... I mean it is one of those magical things that if you if you understand all the deep rooted nerd shit that's going on in the show, <laughs> yeah. like there's a magical level of that. But even if you don't get that, there's still a very cool human sci-fi story yeah. that's going on that it's like all, all the all the nerd deep nerd trench stuff is a bonus. And right. so it's it's somehow inclusive of everyone, every audience. And you're right. But I think that audience loved discovering things, like you said, rather than having it shoved down their throats. And it just shows that nothing can substitute for a good word of mouth uh, that yeah. you can't
2: control. And just like a good show. Just yeah. a good product. I mean, the thing... The thing that was so interesting is I I we're gonna nerd out here, right? This is the nerd podcast. Yeah, yeah right? it is, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna have big confessions here. I think people know this about me already, but like I'm a Twitch TV guy. I like oh, that's, even, <laughs> that's even, oh my God, if we get into that, I'm well, in I remember, trouble. I, I remember getting a but, text uh, from
1: you after I hosted BlizzCon. Oh, and you're no. like, I'm like, you're watching oh, yeah, the exactly. BlizzCon? <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the BlizzCon show.
2: You were terrific, by the way. Oh, but yes, I, I watched the Twitch stuff. And the one thing Netflix did do is they put it out. They had their own Twitch channel. They had a couple streamers come on and do some stuff. And they had, like... You could say things in the chat, like, turn on the lights or something. Mm -hmm. They would, like, do things in the lights. And they did make the first eight minutes available Mm -hmm. to the public as, like, a big teaser for the first season. And people were so nasty. You know, fans are, like... If they don't know something or something's weird, sometimes they can just, like, get nasty about it. And they Mm -hmm. were so nasty about it. And then the 8 minutes and i watched that evening like it was like maybe a week before it came out or something i watched that evening these like streamers be really nasty about it and then watched the 8 minutes and be like, oh, it's, it looks okay, like, <laughs> you know, and it slowly started to turn. But it was this thing. There was even a backlash, even in that community around it being like a fake Spielberg thing, or like, a, why do we need this stupid crap? You know, blah, blah. and then, and then there's just the quality of the the show where you would just started to see it emerge. It's so funny to me that someone <clears throat> on a game streaming platform would be like, why do we need this? Like,
1: why do you need the thing you're complaining about it on? You don't need any of this. Come on, He's man. A little,
2: I mean, are you kidding, like. Like that's you know that's all of us. We're know, like the worst. I'm like the biggest offender though. I have to say, <laughs> like I'm the guy who's like, yeah, I hate this. This is terrible. Yeah. What were they thinking? It's fun to shit on new things. I
1: like, <laughs> like it just sort of it sort of gives you a you know ma- it makes everyone kind of feel like autonomous in a very royal way. It's like take it away. Like you've even looked at it. <laughs> I don't need it. Wait, bring it back. It's not that bad, you know. Like it's the, the, exactly. the initial defense response. Exactly. Are yeah. you still playing Warcraft right now?
2: Uh, not right now. I dipped in and out. Do, do you play at all?
1: I got sucked
2: back into would um, BFA or Diablo Diablo oh, Three oh. on Switch. I played... On, on Twitch? Switch. On, on, Twitch? on, on the oh, Switch. Oh, by the way, that was a... Th- the, at the recent Blizzard. that was a big uh, disaster. I don't even know if they're continuing development on that game. Oh, because... The they mobile
1: got, phone? One? Oh, right, 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 oh, right. Oh, right. talk
2: about a fan response, man. Yeah, yeah. They, they were that, like... People were not happy but about But I wonder that.
1: how much it, companies can sort of... Whether like an initial backlash, and okay, they're, yeah, they're, okay, you know, like a handful of people, whatever. It went viral that it, that they're angry about it. But is that everyone? Exactly. Or is that like the loudest thousand no, people? That, that's, and should we just
2: put it out and see how, what happens? That that's the thing. Like it it is apparently, and I, I guess I had heard something about how Star Wars did some uh, like data testing around this stuff because of some of what's happened to their thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that what they found was that, in general, that the, that negative fan response is a very small, limited number of voices. Yeah. But it's very loud. Yes. And that it actually does have some sort of reverberation. If they're all doing it
1: at once... Right. ...then it, then it can seem, you know, it's it's the, the way that a thousand people can seem like everyone! It's like, right. well, it's, a, you know, it's like an angry thousand gamers, and of those thousand... You know, a percentage are probably really pissed, and a bunch of other ones are just anarchists who are like, let's watch it burn. You know, <laughs> that's true. Burn it all down. Well, that's the thing yeah. too, where it is
2: it does have this you know, this mentality where it's a bandwagon where it's yeah. like fun to get on and watch people squirm. Yeah. I think that's been the drama of reality television. Life itself for so long is like, ha, look at him chase that kid. Back, like, yeah, let's run after him. Back you to know.
1: shipmates. Exactly. <laughs> what are these
2: people doing? We will keep coming back. That dude back just saw a drink in that girl's dude, face. Put them on a ship. For For three days and have them fall in love. Take away their money. Like make them, you know. God, I wanted to go on that show. Can we do a special (laughs) Netflix special where I go on the show (laughs) with someone. One episode of Shipmates. Just one special, very special episode of Shipmates. Yes. We could do it even as... We could do it as Chief Hopper and Joyce Byers. We could do it in character. We could do it as Hellboy. We could do it as Hellboy. (laughs) Hellboy And and, uh, the Blood Queen. Yes, Yes. and see how
1: they... Yeah, exactly, because you know the thing about uh, the thing the, the thing about blind date is that blind date was sh- this is no one's going to care about this, but it's funny to me because <laughs> the mechanics of it blind date blind date was shipmates without the ship, but, and it was also <laughs> shot in L A. and okay. the reason that that's a distinct where like, was shipmates shot? Shipmates was shot out of New York and Mi- and Miami, of course, because that's where the ship that's dodged. where the ships go out of. So the reason that that is <laughs> you I never crucial. went to Miami then. No. Yeah. No. I mean, my my mom's from Miami. I grew up. I kind of oh, okay. I lived there as kid, but I never went on any of the cruises. But so um, well, missed opportunity. In L- so blind date was shot in L.A., which meant that all of the people that went on blind date were out of work actors. All the people who oh, went on wow. shipmates were like barbacks, bouncers, <laughs> people in beautician school. Yeah, they were yeah. like the real deal. Like, I don't have to take this fucking bullshit. You know, yeah, like what- you can't tell me what to, you know. And so like on, on Blind Date, it was very polished and they were very like perform-y. right? And our people were like real deal hungover, <laughs> imprisoned on a sh- carnival cruise ship for three to five days. Miserable. <laughs> Penniless. Like every was just every element was like how are we gonna how far can we push these people to create <laughs> friction? And then on top of that they were casting, you know Colorful personalities of course, like people. of course And so it was I always said Shipmates was great For television And terrible for humanity <laughs> So uh, so that was The key
2: distinction Between those two But
1: that's, but you're right Like it all just Kind of loops back To that kind of Reality television Watching a train wreck
2: Yeah 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 yeah. But uh, but it, it, you know it, it is an interesting thing So I guess Where did we get off on that It was something About the Twitch thing Yeah right? we were talking yeah. About Twitch
1: We were talking about Watching it burn And we were talking yeah. About people who
2: love To see the the crash You know who just love yeah. The reality television <laughs> Yeah. Of it. It's an it's an interesting thing.
1: And that's what social media has done, it's basically turn our culture into reality I television. struggle
2: with that now. I really do. Like I'm having a real problem with social media in general in all levels now. I hear that a lot these days from do people. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but like a year and a half ago or something, uh, you know, I sort of had when when season 2 came out, it was like I was in love with social media. I mean, I was You know, I was making all these funny posts about me looking like Joe Kerry or looking like (laughs) Natalia Dyer or whatever. And, like, I was doing Twitter challenges with kids to take their high school photos. And I I felt this sort of warm – it felt like a warm, fun cocktail party. Right. That, uh, you know, has started to turn for me to this weird thing where it's like – it just does. It feels like – like what? What are we do? What are we doing anymore? We're just yelling at each other now. Well, that's the thing. Like, so
1: it's sort of like if if you're at like a New Year's Eve party and it's really fun, and halfway through,
2: everybody's drunk now. A bunch like- of
1: yeah, everyone's drunk, <laughs> right? And then a bunch of robots come in and they're like, "Okay, now this is gonna this is battle royale now." So the right. loudest, angriest, you know. Because, you know, the, the, the algorithms kind of prioritize the most extreme points of view across every sector. So right. the loudest, you know, most superlative, and usually that's angry, get upvoted. And then in turn, those seem to be the most important. Right. And they're not necessarily, but that's just how it's prioritized to create increase engagement because people rally around. They just want drama. They just want the drama and that engage- and And it's creating sort of a... Not entirely, I think, true, full scope of what the world is. It's sort of like what you said, oh, a thousand people
2: can make it seem like everyone. It's like, well, this is a very specific... I find it to be actually the direct opposite of the world. Like, I live in New York, and so I walk around, and people that I interact with on a daily basis are not this way. No! Uh, and then you either either way, you know? I have nuanced conversations with people all the time. <laughs> in person, that are, yes, yeah. That, that's how people are supposed the, to communicate. Right, but also that we, you know, care about each other's feelings and ca- care about each other's well-being, and uh, you can sort of feel that when you, when you have a human interaction with someone. You're like, Absolutely. oh, when I'm talking to you, I feel like you're listening to me, and you care about me and you might disagree with me or get angry with me but still you consider me a human being and then it broadens and broadens and broadens to this place now where it's just like and it doesn't even matter what point of view i agree with anymore right it's not like you know i'm a leftist or i'm a rightist or i'm a you know fan of this or a fan of that or i'm a you know i want these rights or that rights it's more just like the vitriol and the the idea that um you know we we as you say like the only way to get hurt is to scream super loud or be as provocative as you possibly can yeah and like those gentle voices of like a nuanced sanity that may be compromised that may live in a world of compromise that may live in an imperfect world and be accepting of that all these things are lost and so in that way i just get like it, it does feel like candy it's like I'll go on sometimes, and I'll like you know I'll get fired up. Like people either be like, "Yeah, man," or they'll be like, F-g-g-g-g-g. And it, but it feels like I'm eating candy, and then I step away, and I'm like, like I'm still kind of buzzing. <laughs> it's almost, it's down almost the like social cocaine. Yeah. You're like,
1: exactly. Fuck. oh, let's oh, fucking take it on on. I kick it hard. Exactly. I can't get exactly. hard. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> you know, And so yeah. it's it, it is because I think um you know the people who want to have nuanced conversations they're just not they're too healthy to compete with the the loud voices and and social media is a great supplemental form of communication but it has begun to supplant what we view as the full scope of our human experience and it's really not it, like and I'm so glad to hear you say that it really 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 is not it just seems that way if you're on social media all day
2: long if that's exactly. all you're doing and the fact that the news media now takes its cue from social media is crazy to me
3: yeah, i mean that, that no
1: that, one believes no one fact
2: checks <laughs> well, that, the social
1: media well, that's so a, now the media outlets are just like pulling stuff they are like well yeah i don't know if that are you sure did you check that are no, you sure no i know
2: and that that's the thing about like anytime i want to get and then the whole headline thing i mean it's so weird that i you know, I, I believe in very independent free press, but the the things that people are doing to clickbait and to think, you know, even around me. And now I'm in the middle of this press tour. and It's like I'm talking to people in Spain and all day long, like in Britain. And I'm just like saying what I think. And I like can't wait for me to have said something sure. that like taken out of context is a crazy idea. Right. And like, so it's just, um, it's kind of mind blowing that we don't, you know, we want to sort of be provocative in these ways, and it just—it it just feels like disheartening. Yeah, and it must I mean, be. I also- it's always been that way. Has it always been that way? It has. <clears throat> it has, I, right? I, I think it's sort of—it's you know,
1: when you think about the, when you think about uh, when the difference between World War II and Vietnam, and Vietnam right. was a televised war, and I'm sure people at that time were like, "Oh my God, was it always like this?" And it's like, "Yeah, you just yeah. didn't." You know, you just weren't seeing everything, and now we're just we're seeing everything. But what we're focusing on is the most negative stuff because that's the stuff that taps at our insecurities. That's the stuff that engages our you know sense of justice, and that's the stuff that it just it's the most emotive. And yes. and I think you I think we can be addicted to negativity in a very yes. dangerous way. And in a way that I think sociologists like 50 or hundred years from now will be like, Oh my God, what <laughs> were they, you
2: know? Yeah. I don't think, but again, I don't find that in actual reality. No. Like when I'm at the coffee shop or when I'm sitting here talking with people, like I don't think that that's human nature when you have, but I think there is something chemical that goes on in our skin when we're around each other. That's different. That's cut off completely when we're online. Yeah, and, and and I think it becomes maybe it's just the idea that you're a fleshy creature that could get, you know, <laughs> messed with or something. And so you'd seek to understand each other or come together in some sort of way. You don't just like, you know, but but, but I think there is something that happens online when that stuff is cut off that just gets it does it just moves toward that. Well, look, you know, when you when you look at the history of human evolution
1: and how in the last 25 years a, this whole this form of communication that has not really ever existed before is like our brains did not evolve to catch up with us. Like yeah. we are evolved to be around each other and be communal and yes. to look at each other and to read. You know, language. Wor- the words you use are a small percentage of language. Yeah. And so it. It's but now when we're just looking at words and it's depersonalized. I mean of course we're not evolved to handle that yet and of course right. it's so fucking crazy
2: and weird so But even these concepts I mean it is so funny how quickly we're advancing now because even the concept of like I guess I read, I read something years ago about how when you were you know in the in the early 19 in the 1800s let's say you really only meet like at most like 25 people <laughs> your, your whole life and like, and like the idea that the modern world is, we're just too interconnected so, so these ideas of love that they had in like you know the 1800s and and what that means today in terms of just the amount of interaction that you have, oh, yeah. the amount you could obsess about someone, or all these you know, these really fundamental societal concepts that are starting to be deconstructed. Or as you say, community itself.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the entire when when you know when your community before was, you know, maybe even if you lived in a big city, it was a few thousand maybe a few thousand people. You're right, you probably knew a handful of those people. Yeah. And now a community is like you know billions that like the whole world is localized like yeah. that's 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 really head trippy but i think i think you're right i think it is important to force ourselves to just step away from it and just go have like we have to take on the responsibility to go have real human interactions
2: yeah i mean and it's an interesting thing cuz i i was very very into it for like as i say like about a year and a half ago like i was really having a great time on it and then Um, you know, things started to, uh, and I started to (laughs) want to talk about a little more complicated stuff. And I found like it was just really difficult to, you can't. And and so I'm like writing this book now that has been so refreshing because it's like you can actually, and who knows how that'll be. Is it a fiction book or no, no, it's more memoir. It's, it has to do with like my experiences around uh, mental illness and things like that. And, um, And uh, so – but it's very very amazing to be able to sit at a desk and formulate an idea that's like 200 pages long Mm -hmm. and that has within it all this subtle color of your experience that is – and then to go on Twitter and to have like whatever, 100 characters to like explain your point of view. right? And there's something even about opinions in general that I started to get just really sick of. (laughs) I was like because you see it on the talk show on the news shows and on CNN and Fox News all these things where it's like everybody's just so full of opinions and it seems like things are not you know I just want people to stop having so many opinions and just like, like it would be great I think it would be so interesting to see on one of these like CNN pundit shows or something to have them talk about something to have somebody lay down something and then just have them all just stop and just think about it for like a minute. Yes. <laughs> you know that would never happen on television because no. people are so quick. But it would be really interesting to just watch people, just even in the act of just thinking and considering.
1: Well, I think I think a show whose rules were, <clears throat> uh, I mean, I, for for a while I was considering I'm not going to do it because I don't have time or energy to do another podcast. But to basically have something that's along the lines of like a polite discourse where it's like you know you get two people from opposing views, yeah, and they are not allowed to like yell at each other, insult each other, and they have to talk. And they don't have to agree, but they also don't have to dehumanize each other. And right. to see if there's a way because
2: the- <laughs> we can do that around chipmates. Can- <laughs> I think it's the greatest show of all time. I think it was. You the- had problems with it. It may have been. I'm not going to dehumanize the- the you. But- of humanity. No, sorry. no, sorry. Continue with what you're saying. I had no, it No, no, you're
1: absolutely right. But but I just I think the idea that. Um, the goal should be underst- – I think the goal should be understanding and finding common ground. I think so. Um, so that we don't isolate ourselves, you know, I-
2: increasingly isolate ourselves. Uh, Although there are moments of where we – tolerance is an interesting thing. There are moments where intolerance is important. Oh, absolutely. For, but but yes, in general, I would say most of the cases – You
1: know, when, when people are trying to keep out groups or be right. – or, or themselves be intolerant because of, you know – Prejudices or whatever. Yes, that, but I also think that having, like, when you come at someone aggressively, their defenses are going to go up and they're not going to hear you. So yeah. you're not, so it's just all like, but not only than-
2: that, I actually think that facts are almost irrelevant. Like, this is the thing about reality itself. Oh, is that, this has been bending my mind. So much oh, already. let's go there. Yes. Um, reality itself is a shared agreement, mm-hmm. right? So, the idea that like there's there's there 's the real to me, and then there 's the true I think, mm-hmm. so this idea the real is so not important what 's important is the true like what's what even when people go into psychotherapy, I read something where they 're talking about how they're looking for with the therapist they're looking for the truth they don't care about the reality mm-hmm. like the reality could be that I'm like grotesquely fat but like the truth is that is something different like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that those and, and when you approach somebody who has a shared agreement truth that's very large with facts mm-hmm. or reality in a certain way um, I think it's almost irrelevant it's like it has to be approached on a shared truth as opposed to i find this in terms of the the around the you know mental illness framework is like there's so many things that are agreed upon as sane Mm -hmm. in our society like you know working for lehman brothers and raping the earth and exploiting you know tons of groups of people for pure profit that Mm -hmm. is way beyond you eating one lunch right um and yet that's viewed as, like, wildly sane. Whereas, like, walking down the street, taking your clothes off, screaming at people is viewed as insane. <laughs> and like, but, like, but, like, yes, of course, and yet it's an arbitrary agreement. Like, in, in another world, in another place, in another time, we would view the Lehman Brothers guy as wildly insane to do that in a community. But the guy walking down the street screaming is just exuberant and, like, fun. <laughs> like, like, but, but, but I think that there's, there's this idea that, that reality exists... And I think it's so just unproductive.
1: Well, that's a, I've never heard that put that way before, the difference between reality and truth. Because I think people inter-swap those because they think their reality is, of course, the truth. But the, the thing about the, the, the way that we kind of create our you know algorithmically delivered social media bubble, or, or like internet, digital world bubbles, not just social media, but the news we get or the sites we visit or what we see on YouTube – it is all picked because it, it – and it takes you further and further down a path and isolates more and more and more and gives you things that help con- – the confirmation confirmation bias bubble. And that you think is true. You go, well, this is true because this is everything I'm seeing. And, it's, and it is.
2: It is. Because for it, your particular community or your particular group, it is true. I mean the interesting thing even in terms of like the mental illness community is something like back in the 40s. Women, you could sort of be married and say to your wife, "Like you're crazy, I'm putting you in the asylum." Right? There was something called hysteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Existed, right? Yeah. And like now. You know, thank God, women have been like, we just see the world differently than you guys do, and you're like, no, 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 this is the way it is. Like, I think for years, white guys have been like, this is the way it is. This is the reality, and and other groups of people are like, actually, we view reality differently, mm-hmm. and that it's been an incorporation of these different groups, but um, and these different realities. But the actual and the actual realities themselves, I think, are almost like literal, and so to approach. Broaching someone's reality Or their truth With simple facts Is like Is like Almost like Throwing pebbles At a, a Tsunami At a At a Yeah At a T-Rex It's like What are you doing Like use Use the shared Inherent truths Or the hypocrisy Behind them Or whatever it is But facts Like you know And that's the Interesting thing Where it's almost like I'm almost like uh, In the fake news camp where like Which is you know I'm very liberal in my politics but i but but i understand uh this idea of like taking responsibility for our shared agreements and moving forward with that as opposed to going like no the fact is this the fact is this and really trying to approach uh, you know creating a reality together as opposed to like because that's what i find on twitter all the time is this Is, like, people, like, somebody saying something and then somebody throwing facts at them. And then the other person, like, throwing facts back. And facts are all selective. Right. You know? And so that's what I I get so frustrated with. I'm like, you're not approaching their reality or their community in a certain way. You're you're approaching them with these pebbles. And it just feels like a bunch of irrelevant, you know, pebble throwing as opposed to truly – Trying to understand the mindset of the reality, the mindset of the truth, and giving the truth itself the respect that someone's truth deserves, be it as insane as you want to think it is. I mean, you know, still giving it the respect of it being truth as opposed to just wrong.
1: Well, we're we're kind of living in opinion as fact era. And people, rather than trying to – I mean like in any situation – and I think this might have been like a, a David Allen getting things done. Or was it a David Allen? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a productivity thing, like how to be an effectively productive person. Yeah, yeah. You have to seek first to understand. Yes. And But people tend only to seek first to protect their own opinion. Yes. Rather than because it's very painful. It is a painful en- and it requires a lot of energy to go – you know, I might not know all the facts. I might be wrong. I might, and that's, and so people are so protective and they can go down trenches where they don't have to be challenged, where they're just, you know, confirmed, confirmed, confirmed.
2: And Wait, so, like, are you a, are you a, I know we're not supposed to talk about this on the level of radio filbert. <laughs> but are
1: you an AA guy? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm sober. Um, I, I have complete respect for AA. When I first got sober, the first few meetings I went to didn't Entirely resonate with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I set up a. Com- you need a support structure to yeah, get yeah. sober. So I set up a completely different support structure that involved comedians and therapists and, and stuff like yeah. that. Well, and I do go sometimes, but
2: I just I'm not a I'm not a habitual goer. I, no, I, I look, I'm I've had my own you know experiences with them, but and I you're and not works. you're not really supposed to talk about it. And it I, works and I, for I, so many people, and I think I have all the respect in the world. But it. I've had a tremendously positive experience. But one of the things in terms of changing your life, like if you are. a self-destructive person, like an alcoholic or like, like drinking and doing these things that are one of the, um, interesting little, they have a couple little sayings, one of which I love, which is feelings aren't facts, Mm -hmm. right? Which is great, but they're feelings like, and so in a sense, like feelings are almost more than facts. And so yes, for the self-reflective, you know, wanting to change person, the idea that a feeling isn't a fact, is a great thing because mm-hmm. they're open and responsive to that. But the reason why you 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 offer this to someone when they're in a rigid state is because in our normal waking life I feel like facts are um, facts are so irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Like and even for me in terms of my neurosis like mm-hmm. you know I could have all the facts in the world that I have you know whatever you know friends that care about me or like a you know money in the bank or whatever but it's just i'm just miserable and i'm gonna die and i'm whatever it is that like my feelings are so important well in in my life and i feel like in terms of approaching um approaching a changing conversation this idea of throwing pebbles at my neurosis is silly because my my neurosis is a lot stronger than your facts. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing even in terms – to me in terms of dealing with shared truths or shared agreements is like really trying to be able to approach them from the feeling standpoint, which is what you're saying, seeking to understand.
1: Yeah, but that's – but you're absolutely right that – and, you know, not a neuroscientist over here, but it feels like the way that our brains work is that, you know, these very base emotions originate in our um, amygdala you know, like the sort of the fear and the, you know, all the lizard brain stuff, all the survival stuff, and they trickle up to the emotional brain, which then sort of builds a narrative around those about how we feel in our molecules. And then our higher brain functions just, you know, like for however we've learned or been conditioned sort of picks and sorts through, okay, I'm going to sort this here, I'll put this here, now I'm going to make the choices for my life. But I feel like, you know, when you are driven by feelings as facts you're sort of sm- sm- smushing that, you know, it's easy to shove the logical part of your brain out of the way. It's kind of like when someone is in a, you know, in a job that makes them miserable or in a relationship that makes them miserable. And you go, hey, you should get out of that. And they go, I know, I know, I know. But they can't feel it because it feels like it's harder to cram logic back down into the, <laughs> yeah, into totally. the base emotional part of your brain. And so how do you create new emotional pathways that allow you to navigate all the things you're talking about? Because I think anyone, you know, especially anyone who's gotten sober, we deal with all of that stuff.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, but the first thing in terms of, because I'm thinking of it on even a larger level, like there are just these societal agreements that we are making constantly. And I just think just to acknowledge that, like to stop getting in these trenches of these ideas that there's a right and a wrong, or that there's a fact and a, and a, even that there's a fact like <laughs> there are facts of things that happen, but facts themselves, when they're being used and how they're being used, are always selective so yeah. it's it's just a it's there's a lot more nuance in terms of that conversation, and I feel like. Um yeah and again this comes down to like a really crazy cosmic conversation about what re- the nature of reality is in general because I do think the nature of reality in some sense is a shared consciousness
1: it is but it's also being challenged because there are so many everyone can have such a specific reality now and we don't necessarily we aren't really encouraged to agree upon broad concepts we're encouraged to be like My super niche specific version of everything Is the right way And so I feel like We're becoming more and more isolated And even in the sense that I was a philosophy major When we first started talking about existentialism And the idea that like I see a brown table And you might say You see a brown table But do I really know What that means to you? And I was like (laughs) No! Fuck! Oh my god! You know? Like I don't know what you see As brown, I know what I see is brown, yeah. but we assume that what we see is whatever, is, you know, it's
2: like whatever else, yeah. and,
1: and you're right, it, that's not it at no, all. No, it's,
2: it's I mean, and it's wildly confusing, but the whole idea to broaden, I guess it's just this idea of like, that. that's the thing, going back to social media, is there is this very strong conversation that feels somewhat in a vacuum, and I think, how do we do this thing where we broaden somewhat like empathy for uh, differing points of view Just broadening empathy for people's realities Just being different from ours Which I feel like you're right We're headed in a direction that isn't that way Well we I have to know. get
1: in We have to see each other in person Because when you're interfacing with a machine We are not programmed to feel empathy for a device Right And so you uh, transitively don't feel empathy For the person on the other side of their device Because you're communicating in a very inhuman way so it it is forcing ourselves to meet in person and get in right. groups
2: you know and and for all of you listening to the machine podcast <laughs> I, w- I would like to acknowledge the hypocrisy <laughs> And the duality of the fact that we all live amidst the hypocrisy constantly.
1: No, what's so. going to happen is that David and I are going to come do a podcast for each and every we're person who
2: we're going to go shake your hands. I
1: want to hear about your. I want to hear about your book. I want to if you want yeah, to talk about it because okay. it, um
2: because oh it, my god, this is really going to lock me into having to write it. <laughs> that's, um, that's good. That's good. You'll be accountable. No, I mean like yeah, like I'm pouring into this idea. I mean the for me the. Um, the big thing I've, you know, I've struggled with, uh, what people deem mental illness, uh, for my life. I've been, you know, I've been labeled and diagnosed as uh, bipolar. Um, and I've had about 17 years of a struggle with this particular thing. Um, and it's been very complicated. Uh, and so, I was asked by some people who liked my writing just on like, you know, silly platforms. Like they liked like my Instagram posts <laughs> just mm-hmm. the way I sort of turned things. And that, and I got asked what I would like to write about. And really for me uh, that the, the, it initially sort of began as this just, you know, thinking about my struggles with mental illness. And now it's become like a whole thing about almost about reality itself and um and just about me and my own identity in a weird way you know what I mean like and and I've explored because I've been through the gamut of a lot of different things with this like there's the medical model and I do take a medication which mm-hmm. I have taken for a long time um I don't uh particularly like taking it and i also sort of as i say living the duality like i i take and live in this world but i also sort of don't agree with the world in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. Uh, um so i sort of live this duality and the thing that i have found most of all as i've like as i've spiraled around is like bipolar and even schizophrenia in terms of the things that i've read uh is like really some kind of search for identity it feels like to me And there is, there's some, there's little evidence to reconcile a biological component, but there's a lot of evidence to reconcile like a social component to it, right? Like there are these drugs that we have in the world that do things to the brain in a certain way. But the broader context is that there is trauma, I feel like in all of us that needs to be reconciled, Mm -hmm. be it in various different ways. And, and, and. You know that that trauma exists, even as we say, like I think even dealing with Twitter is a trauma can be a traumatic event like sure. like so how we are in the social world as social animals is just something that i 'm trying to explore with this, and it 's come up a lot around my identity and it comes up around being an actor, um, you know, and so in a way it it charts my. The book will chart my experiences with this and also the ways that I've used through, you know, because alcohol for me was a big one at one point. Um, and then there's various forms of acting out, and then there's various creative, really positive forms uh, that uh, have been very good and uh, and then but but it's all been seeking this identity, which I find these alternative therapies very interesting. like there's people like Frieda from, Reichman. Um and uh, George Atwood, uh, Frieda Fromm-Reichman sort of was the therapist. You ever hear that book? I never Promise you a rose garden. No. Okay. There's a book called I Never Promise You a Rose Garden, which is basically about a schizophrenic uh, woman who be who gets cured of schizophrenia through intensive like talk therapy mm-hmm. um, with no medication. And um, the thrust behind some of these. Theories. And this guy, George Atwood, talks about this amazing thing, which is, you know, like I'll give you a case study, simple thing was like this woman was convinced that they're, you know, schizophrenic, convinced that they're vampires, like everyone's a vampire, like all these vampires coming to get me. And he, and a lot of times what happens with crazy people is you medicate the crap out of them. You're like, (laughs) vampires don't exist. Here's a bunch of medications, sit the hell down, let's get back to reality, right? But what this guy Atwood went in and said, your family are like vampires. They suck you dry every time I so see them. So he hit rack- it head
1: on and gave her a, a – a, he tried to take the literal and say, well, this is metaphorical and you're not wrong
2: from this point of view. Correct. But not even – I mean the interesting thing about shared agreements, and this is where I get, is that like the literal and the metaphoric are so – are so uh, mundanely connected to us on such – and such a visceral level that the idea that your head could spiral off into metaphor, your brain could spiral off into metaphor in a weird way. Like for example, even money, like we walk around and we hand these like green, like we hand metaphors mm-hmm. around or now it's not even cash. It's like a card with numbers. It's numbers on a screen. And like we relate to these metaphors so strongly that like, if you were to lose all those numbers on a screen, you might jump out of building and kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it's our society. We're, we're a mythical being. We don't exist in the physical world anymore. Physical needs can be met, but if our social needs aren't met mythically, we dissolve I, I them, love kill that so much right?
1: because I, I've really been stuck on this idea lately that what's been freaking me out a little bit is like, you know, most of the things you are certain about are assumptive. Almost everything that you are sure is true, (laughs) you're kind of assuming because you just don't – we have to do shortcuts to – we have to create shortcuts to process the amount of information at all times to navigate the current world with all of the – trying to process all this information. And so we just do shortcuts or we just read headlines and go, "Okay, that's probably true because I already believe I need to sort this. And so (laughs) – but if you really were to go through, you might realize like, oh my god, most of what I believe I actually can't prove. Some of the things I thought I believed, I actually believe the opposite. Other things are wildly not true. You know, it's like – it's fucking – like, if, if anyone really sat with it for a second, it might flip them out a little yeah. bit.
2: Yeah. And so, like, I actually think that a lot in a lot of cases, like, the schizophrenia of the bipolar, like, there is something where you're just sitting with a lot of fundamentally crazy concepts and just allowing, you know, sometimes when you stare at the darkness too long, the darkness starts to stare back. And, um, they, like, take this example with the vampires. Like, the idea that a metaphor of vampirism and, like whatever it is that she's consumed uh, in her brain that made her think that this was real is the same things that we consume in our brains that make us think $100 is worth dinner. Right. Like, it's the same thing. (laughs) It's just hers are societally unsanctioned and ours are societally sanctioned. So he really and this is again the whole thing about like going in with the agreements as opposed to facts because to me the medication model is like the fact is there aren't vampires bam <laughs> like and you do get the facts after a while like they shoot you up with haldol or whatever and like you get the fact fact is like i'm sitting in a chair or whatever but to actually approach the trauma what you have to do is understand the reality behind the thing because a lot of times I think when people deal with these issues, be they depression or manias or psychosis or anything, they're just, they're actually living in a reality that is true. And that when you assault them with pebbles, you're just assaulting a shared social agreement. You're not, you're not actually addressing their truth. Mm -hmm. And so this guy went in and sort of addressed their truth. And I have found that on a much more subtle level, like I have been through the ringer with all these different things and, and now I'm in like psychoanalysis and and the big thing about psychoanalysis is like, and also even the way the culture has embraced me as an actor and the way that I tell a story, uh, like in a weird way, fame has been very good for my illness. I
1: was going to ask you about that if yeah. that fucked you up because it it takes you out of some shared social experiences because it's like you know people recognize you now and right. you're doing bigger and stuff.
2: But I'm glad to hear that it's
1: it's like the first person that I've heard. Oh, things, it? oh it's actually been really good. Most yeah, you're like, yeah, it's I, mean,
2: I, t- I tell you what's great about it is. Uh, because I used to be just like some wacko uh, artist in the East Village who could walk around and, like, be a little nuts. And mm-hmm. now I feel a little responsibility to being like, <laughs> being, like, more sane. So there's a part of that. And you also do feel part of a larger community where people just kind of know you. Like, mm-hmm. you walk around in airports and people are like, Dave. Like, like, so your community gets larger. Like, you you can't be as invisible in a certain way. That's really and interesting. And that's actually the responsibility of that is really great. Um, and also on some level, the validation of the story that, or the stories that I have to tell is what I've been seeking kind of my whole life. Like, I'd like to think that my art is just purely, it's just purely for the people, Chris, (laughs) but actually I have a deep seated (laughs) neurosis of of need. Well, actually, and, and how, how uncomfortable to admit this, the fact that I, on some visceral level need people to accept me i need them to accept my story on a broad level or i go crazy that's the theme of today's discussion no it's um but but this idea that it is liberating to have people go like oh yeah we get what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and then to the dealing with the talk therapy too is a real shared agreement of you know, someone who's a very trained professional being able to see me, see my story, see the story that I'm telling, see the gaps in where it's adding up and then to be able to really talk it through. But, you know, the, the funny thing is in terms of how to deal with um, how to deal because I think that we all struggle. Mental illness is becoming a huge. It already is a huge issue, but it's becoming even more. And I know if you are, if you there's a lot of people that are mentally ill, but also you I'm sure you love someone who's mentally ill. Or uh, have a a parent, or a friend, or a coworker, or who struggles with these ideas. I mean, it touches all of us. And I think the most interesting way to deal with these things is that people get so told because the mental ill can be exhausting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exhausting to have a friend who's like always sad. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, please, I just want to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to hear the or like you know someone who's crazy and so. But I will say that the most validating experiences are those where you can really listen to and believe someone, even if it's resistant, even if you say to them, like, you can't act this way, you know, which I think is important too. But it's really being able to see someone as opposed to this thing that we do in society. I think with people like that, where you just kind of make them invisible, Mm -hmm. just kind of move away. So you don't have to deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that uh, dealing with it head on by entering into those realities with people as opposed to like having to push them away and it's an interesting societal thing now which is like with the you know the medicalization becoming even more prominent is i I really am worried about pathologizing normal because you want you want people to be weird you know what i mean like you don't want to have like a normal thing and then outside of that we, we brand mental illness or whatever. Right. We want people to... We, and that's that, to me, comes back to communities where it's like we want communities to be able to incorp- incorporate a, a Chris who's like a weirdo once a month mm-hmm. and who, like, wanders around, like, you know, is kind of annoying to deal with, but I got to deal with him. Or yeah. Whatever. And I think that as we get more, you know, or as our communities get more limited in all these ways, and, and as you say, like, we become more insulated, we have less tolerance for these things and uh, and then we start to like, medicate it more or pathologize
1: it. Yeah, and th- and that's the thing that I mean about you know just sort of building off on that idea, building on that idea of becoming more insulated and isolated is that if we're able to create these perfect bubbles in these kind of digital lives that we live where we agree 100% with everything that's around us in our immediate vicinity, it makes us less flexible to then find common to, to it it just conditions us to be less flexible. So that you see that if if people don't agree with something a hundred percent, they don't go, oh, I should probably try to understand if they go that's that's the fucking worst and it's like <laughs> right. well you just don't agree with it a little bit. and you might not agree with it a hundred percent but right. if you don't agree with it a few percent isn't it worth trying to tr- understand a little bit you know and right. we're just becoming rigid and right. I think that's dangerous yeah me too but
2: I would love it, it, but that but the, the book is like so the books you know that's some of the thrust but also some of it has just been my wacky uh. Experiences in an asylum and in with various, you know, because there's a lot of color to this world as well that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. There's, you know, creatives are, you know, like, my my experience with uh, this ride has been very colorfully fun and weird, too. So a lot of it's been liberating for me because I get to talk about identity. I get to talk about society. I get to talk about treatments and things like that. And also I get to, like, tell fucking hilarious, fun stories that I've never told about, you know, this world. Well,
1: and because... And it also, when you do, and especially when you tell it in that way, it kind of destigmatizes it yeah, so that it so, doesn't yeah. seem like them. It's sort of like, oh, this is a... Like, I don't know if you wanted to share an asylum story, you could. <laughs> if you want to
2: save it for the book, I completely understand. I am trying to think of like a really good one. I mean, they're all, they're, they're uh, I just think they're. How long? How a long were you there? There have been a couple, mm-hmm. you know, there have been a couple. So, uh, in general, the, um, the length of stays have been uh, around. A- week and a half mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a week sometimes two weeks um and in general it's you know it's classically defined mania which is um that it's never violent thank god it's uh and as with most mental ill manias they're not violent i think one of the common misconceptions is that uh you know, manic or even psychotic people are going to kill you and they're not. Mm -hmm. They're just confused. Uh, And I think they actually are the victims of violence uh, like 99% of the time as opposed to the perpetrators of it um, because they're doing confusing things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so mine have always been related to uh, a search for God in some sense. I think I've been, you know, I think... Many people are, but I'm always looking – I've been looking for – and I'm actually not looking for it as much, but I have for a lot of my life been looking for the answer Mm -hmm. and not just thinking about living in the question. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a – man, that's a fucking – just to hear you say that, it just – I just felt a shift in my brain. Like, yes. oh, my God, living in the question. <laughs> of course. Maybe that's it. You know? Like, maybe maybe that's it. I think it's helpful. It's, it's very helpful. I well, mean, again, one's very result-oriented.
2: Finding exactly. the answer is very result-oriented. And here but I am saying I'm an process. artist with process, and, I, and I'm just, like, all I've been doing my whole life when I go off the rails is, like, looking for the answer. Like, looking for the thing. That's going to fix it or solve yeah, it or, or that, justify it. Well, I mean, like, on a broad level, right, we're all just, like, uh gonna die I mean that's crazy yeah like it's crazy that we're like gonna go toward this thing where it's like we don't exist anymore Mm -hmm. and nobody's come back from it nobody can tell us what's really I mean people can talk about it but we don't have empirical evidence of like after this body dies like, there's a place in the clouds. There's this guy, St. Peter. Yeah, it's you in the gates. Yeah. Or there's like, we're reincarnated as a turtle. And then, we're, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I hope I come back as a turtle. <laughs> Turtles are awesome. I had a box turtle when I was young. That guy was awesome. Barney. Oh, he ate Oh, it was great. I love Barney.
1: Yeah. Now, now you're gonna go to Saint Peter, and but, it, but he's just gonna—you know what? Just, and Saint Peter's not even gonna look at a book of what you did. He's just gonna look at your browsing history. Yeah. Like, oh oh no,
2: man! Do not look at my browsing history, Saint Peter. I was in a dark place, Saint Peter. I was just curious. That oh, one doesn't weird
1: me out as much. Like, die, like it d- after we br- die, doesn't? I don't. It just doesn't bother. Really? Me. I don't care. I don't know why. What? It just doesn't bother How could bother you me not care? Because I didn't know what it was like to not be alive before I was born. I it, know, but now you do. Yeah, but it doesn't, but this, it just doesn't, the thing that scares me what is scares dread, you? like, like yes. dreadful experiences. I think yes. that's why, you know, as I've said on the podcast before, more people, you know, like more people are afraid of flying than eating cheeseburgers, despite the fact that heart disease kills way more people yes. than airplanes. No, because it's true. Why? Well, uh, a heart attack is just a light switch flicking off and... Uh, which is how my dad died, and and a, and a oh, going down goodness. on a plane is dreadful. Like it sounds terrible, you know. And so, if you're on a plane now, you're safe. Specifically, you're very safe. Everything's going to be fine.
2: But it's just I have flown so much in the past few weeks. Is, is like, the, you're okay. It it is, you're going to be. It right. is the fear of dread. But, I'm,
1: but i would love to. You know, if it's if you don't mind, like when when you're having an episode, what does it feel like? You uh, know, because yeah, I know yeah. no. This when, is the... when, when I'm having deep anxiety. Well, here's the
2: thing. Talk about dread, right? The actual thing that I think people fear more than dying is like going crazy Mm -hmm. because uh, it's like personality death, right? I mean, it's even worse than physical death because you somewhat lose consciousness of your behavior. It's like sleepwalking to a certain degree. There's a physical component. Like I've learned throughout the years as as I've dealt with it as responsibly as I can through, especially through talk therapy, uh, but also with medications and other therapies um, that there are signs that I can start to get to. Um, there are things that I can start to figure out, but once it starts to go, it's a bit like a force of nature. Like it's a bit like a hurricane and it's a bit like a blackout. So um, in I've kind of come to in the hospital, And then I start to remember things that I've done. And sometimes people have to tell me things that I've done that I don't remember. Um, And this comes really interestingly into identity. Because there is a consistent identity to me, even even in the blackout. Like, I do things that are weird, but I'm not... I'm not violent, uh, but I'm weird, and I'm big, and I'm exuberant. There are these things that are me Mm -hmm. um, that kind of come out. But that's a real investigation of, like, who really are you when you sleepwalk? Are you – and this is, you know, consciousness in general, right? Like Chris Hardwick has a a waking life, uh, a dead, passed-out sleep life, and a dream life, right? Like, which are you? Mm -hmm. You – of course claim you're the conscious walking around part but there is a part of you that just is like asleep right that like hours pass and like that was you but you, you know and then there's parts of you where you're in a dream and it's like that's actually you but you're in a dream and it's kind of the same thing on a broader level when this happens it's like you actually are in a dream world but you maintain this consistent thread that to me like as i've been on my spiritual quest too is i do think some sort of I'm not going to call it the soul, but I'll call it like the intellect or something. There's something that, to me, there's something that's happening in the trajectory of our, our lives. There's some force that's moving through it, that's moving through our waking life, our dream life, our trajectories. Um, and that that force is uh, not necessarily the universe in terms of a conscious divinity, but I do believe sort of an individual intellect divinity of some sense. I don't know how to describe it. any Clearer than that. But there's something in me that's like me. Mm -hmm. Um, That you
1: feel is like eternal and, and and outside of time and space. Yeah. Sort of.
2: Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But it doesn't have my ego. Mm -hmm. So the problem with like, that's a funny thing to me about reincarnation is like, like, even guys, people, reincarnation is just such a great concept. It's like, oh, I get to do it again. Like, mm-hmm. I get to, but the only thing you don't get to take with you is, like, your own ego. Right. <laughs> so, like, the all, the all, your own knowledge that it's you. Yeah. But there, I do sort of believe in this concept that things are, there is causation. I do believe somewhat in causation. Uh, not necessarily the AI ideal of, like, everything happens for a reason. Although I've taken great solace in that when I need to. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in not that everything happens for a reason, but everything happens for a cause. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that there is causation, and I do believe there's something in me that moves mm-hmm. along. But um, but yeah, it's a weird thing where you kind of like come to, and and basically what it is is like for me in terms of the bipolar, it's been there are periods of depression, there are periods where life seems very gray, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get off the couch. And it's hard to stop watching reruns of Shipmates. <laughs> I wish I could give you it's episodes. They're, they're like, just They don't even exist on the internet. They like, don't, do no, that. You must have old video tapes. I don't have
1: any of it. Old Betamax
2: tapes? Nothing. Come on. I'm sorry. I'm buying an old Betamax. <laughs> I am going to whatever CW studio was <laughs> for when I go through my next hard time, and I am Sony. watching it on a loop. It was Sony. It was Sony studio. Right, I'm
1: going to Sony they later. They over them. They're, they're... Uh, no
2: way. They're somewhere in a vault in a sarcophagus. <laughs> Where they are, just their very presence is curing some forms they're of cancer. So,
1: somewhere under, yeah, they're somewhere under a sarcophagus and it's going to release, like, the exorcist spirit,
2: you know. Well, with someone someone them. <laughs> but no, there are periods of that darkness and then there are periods of uh, just sort of exuberance, I would say, which are just feelings of, and that's when it sort of snaps over. Because the thing about the mania, classical mania, is like, in a hypomania just below the mania you're very creative Mm -hmm. so like a lot of throughout history they sort of go through these people that are very creative around hypomanic states and then they cross up into a place where they get kind of you know like Ezra Pound or something you know what I mean like create these great cantos these crazy like you know crazy amazing books and then just like ended in a mental asylum like unable to Mm -hmm. so in that way um, there are these moments where I have where where I'm kind of not sleeping and not eating and i'm just filled with what i feel like is creative energies and then it kind of crosses over and i start not making sense um i start saying and doing stupid things and having some really silly ideas about things that would be a good idea and in general my friends around me it usually takes them you know like about a day to be like yeah you know I know you think this is a great idea but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's such a great idea. Let's yeah. go check in somewhere. Yeah. And but uh, it
1: but it also helps it also kind of helps if you have a support structure close by. I think that cuz I've been around mental illness before and and if you don't know that's what it is, you not only aren't helpful, but you can't figure out what the fuck is going on and to have people around that go you know what i think this might be that thing and we should talk about it yeah as opposed to just
2: like dude what the fuck you know like i think that's exactly it yeah i think that's great and that's exactly it and in terms of people having people around you i more and more i've depended on friends and family and things like that
1: that's really nice because it i know like when there's you know when whenever i've had like really anxious like anxiety like yeah. really really deep anxiety it does create this narrative that um, I know I've felt this before and it didn't turn out to be real but this time like it, <laughs> of it, course it, it's so easy to convince you know and being able to take a step back and go oh wait a minute yeah I think this is that thing you know like yeah. being able to do that is
2: very emotions important. themselves are so hilarious I was talking to somebody that, Emotions are so great because every time you feel bad ones, you're always like, oh God, I can't live with this one other second. And the other thing is like this idea when I have sometimes I have these intense emotions, I'm like, not this. I can deal with anything but this, just not this yeah. right now. They're very intense, strange things, emotions. When but then they always powerful. go like it's Yeah, they a, always go away and you're always okay. It always like, goes yeah. away. Yeah. 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 Uh, But, yeah, no, it's been very important to have sort of people around to understand it. And also just even people around just on a holistic level. This is, again, about communities where it's like just somebody to be like, eat, man, like sit, like go to sleep. Like there are simple things that I feel like. Our community things that maybe we did better in in different times, but mm-hmm. like that as a community, we can do for each other that when people do for me it it 'll help me not have to go to that place
1: right right well, and so you how far into you
2: how far into the book are you, and when do you think that 's going to oh god i don 't know okay, I'm you're you're to, uh, no 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 i 'm supposed to turn in a manuscript at the end of this year, but we'll we 'll see i, I mean i 'm right now 'm just kind of pouring stuff out and kind of structure you know p- putting it together as I go um it's one of these things where it's like really interesting. Have you written a book? I did write a book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it and it was it I I enjoyed the process. It felt oppressive in the sense that I always had a thing sitting in the back right, of my brain, right. like where I could never relax. Every time right. you're like, "Ah, oh, what a great Sunday! Oh my God, I have to write a thousand, you know, like, yeah. you know, I have to write sixty-five thousand words yeah. in three months. What the fuck am I gonna do? Yeah. You know? So yeah, it does. It does feel like that. But again, if you can, if you can just kind of live in the present and go, "Well, I'll just get that when I get done today," and then you know, like tomorrow will be tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I was very structured in the beginning, and then I've sort of fallen off because I had to run around and do all this stuff. But it's, it, it, it's also interesting because you. I mean, it's like any creative process. It's like, it starts with a certain thing, and my thing start. I was like, okay, this is what it's gonna be, and then I start getting into it, and I'm like, no, and I feel like this is where it's gonna be, and now it's like, now this is where it's gonna be. So it's it's an evolving thing, like, and and it's teaching me too. It's like you know, it's like interacting with a character too. It's like you start to teach each other things, but it's you know, just about me. So it's like wildly narcissistic.
1: <laughs> yeah, but but it is but it is. You know, you're one of those amazing performer case studies of... In the course of a weekend, your entire life and career changed. Yeah, it's dramatically. True. <laughs> it's true. People are like, "Oh my God, who is this guy? Where's he been?" And then they start looking back. and Go, "Oh, he was in this. Right. He was oh, right. He was that guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, he was. There. Oh, he was in that Law and Order episode. Right. Oh, he right. was in this movie. Right. You know, like you have this foundation of work, and it and it took you know twenty years or something to exactly. get to get to that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it happens. And so like. The week after Stranger Things drops, are you fee- are you like, whoa? I think this is that thing I was chasing after. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I still don't really know. Now everyone says I I'm mean, this brilliant actor. I'm getting I nominated know. for shit. You <laughs> know, know, like I'm I'm getting offers. Like this wasn't happening two weeks ago. No, it
2: wasn't. It was not <laughs> happening two weeks ago. Yeah, it's kind of it was an amazing So turn. glad I didn't take Shipmates. So <laughs> glad I turned that down. Could have ruined everything. I mean, yeah, it was an amazing turn of event. I still kind of wonder about it. Like even this idea of being cuz I've lived so long not being famous or something, right? And so I still walk out thinking that no one's going to recognize me. Like it's not a and like people recognize me all the time now and they're always like and I'm like, "Oh yeah, like it's a like something turned." Um it was it was weird. I I'm still doing the same... Well, that's not exactly true. I was going to say I'm doing the same thing I was doing since I was like five years old. But there was a reinvestment before Stranger Things where I really reinvested in what I was doing. And I do think my work was different because I doubled down on what I, how I could grow. And you
1: made a conscious
2: decision at that point. So yeah, that- I went back to acting class. I mean, I like went back to acting class. I went and worked on this guy in a very different way than I had before because I had... You know, I think all of us get to certain levels in career or in life where you're just like, okay, this is who I, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, and then movies too. And I was like a supporting guy or whatever, but like nobody really cared that much. And like. And the studios themselves were like, "Well, whatever. Like, <laughs> he's fine. We'll shove him in number seven on the call sheet. Right. We can like yell at Denzel Washington for a scene, <laughs> you know." And and I was I was fine with that, but it didn't have a lot of. It was just you know I, I had a bit of a it was kind of a little bit of an angry clown to me you know it was a little bit like. A little bit resentful that I couldn't tell my own story. Sure, because
1: you must have, in the amount of time and the amount of friends you have, you must have seen
2: dozens of your friends, like, their careers pop and be like,
1: I'm so happy for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And, like, all my career, I mean, the interesting thing about New York, too, is, like, and I have friends like this who are in New York now, like, great actors who, you know, who I've done plays with whose careers haven't. Had this, but they're just like great New York actors, and so I was that guy. Like I was doing plays with, you know, Ethan Hawke, Billy Crudup, uh, uh, Martha Plimpton like all these people that have big, you know, and they were always like, "Oh, you're so great," and I'm like, "Yeah, then, <laughs> thanks, guys." <laughs> Tell Hollywood, exactly. But like, um yeah, so it was, but but then you know, the funny thing was after you hit about thirty-five, and it's not. That way I got very I was like fine I was like that's fine I'll never be on the cover Of a magazine or whatever But I'm good Like I just sort of work And do my thing And then This show came along And I read the script And I got the part And I was like I was like Even if it doesn't amount to anything Again not the results But like I owe it To this particular script To actually go in a different place than I've gone before. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be willing to show up and like, you know, be cool, do a little work, say some lines, do some stuff. But this, I was like, I actually want to go to this place with this dude and make him like really broken and really um, specific in terms of like who a guy would be who lost his child at five to cancer, who's a man of justice, but who is it's five years out from that experience. So it's not like that guy wakes up sad anymore. He just is dead. Yeah, it's empty. Yeah, that, right. And there's, uh, and there's a shtick to that too. Where it's like you can't let people see that or whatever. There were all these things about the character that I wanted to craft that are very subtle things that you may not even know when you're watching it. But it's like I, I did a lot of work that I hadn't done before. that was very different. So the fact that people like that was um, like they, they aren't wrong to have not discovered me earlier. <laughs> like I was doing something different. And it's also a responsibility moving forward (laughs) that, like, I'm better when I work on stuff very hard. I mean,
1: it is is that kind of funny thing about how we can overcomplicate things and we can bring in all of these, you know, all this magical thinking and superstitions. Well, I didn't get this because of this or that or this or this is the story. And when you really just tear it
2: down, it's like, well,
1: if you put in the work...
2: (laughs) And unfortunately, eventually, that's been my experience. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it's been my. Has it been your experience as well? Sure. Like you know, it. You know, I, shipmates, for example,
1: <laughs> did not put in a lot of work. What?
2: Wrong. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, but yeah, like you know, when we all we all tell ourselves stories that we need to navigate the world, and sometimes those stories put us at the center of this kind of victim controversy of like, oh, I'm not getting these jobs or this, Because. Right. People hate me or I am suck or the yeah. universe is conspiring. And it's like – and one of the things that I have taken from AA is like none of us are that significant. Yes. We are all insignificant and there is a great <laughs> Nobody really comfort cares. in that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. would think like, well, that would destroy your ego. And it's like, well, it should destroy your ego because your ego – the ego decisions that you make are usually the most deadly and the most painful – and have the most painful consequences because your ego is what you're putting on to the craps table. And you can't control how the dice are going to roll. And so, you know, like being able to take a step back from that um, is, is, very, is, very, is, been very, is very helpful. But putting in the work is, yeah, you put in the work and you, you don't tell yourself those stories. You just go, I'm just going to put in the work and I'm excited about this. And
2: then you let it go. Whatever happens is going to happen. I'm either going to, yeah. you know. It, but it, the work itself pays off. It may not pay off directly in the way that you think it does. But I do believe that there's a cause and effect like it's kind of like going to the gym, right? It's like, if you go to the gym every day for five hours a day and lift weights, eventually you will get big muscles. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I feel like with creative work, where if you put in the time, and that time can be, I mean, one of the greatest things was that there's a play called Red about Mark Rothko. And he talks about he's standing in front of a blank canvas. And the kid says to him, like, when are you going to start painting? And he goes, I am painting. And he's just like, sits there in front of the blank canvas. and <laughs> like, But that dilatory time of actually putting in that creative work pays off. Like that's what I found with Hopper, where like there were days when I would just be alone in my room in a chair, doing my particular process for hours around him, and to me, it very directly pays off in that particular performance
1: well wait a minute though and and again because so if this is so fascinating to me because. You, you, you are, you're struggling with your own personal mental stuff and yet you have to live inside, you have to live as this guy for a long time feeling all of these really fucked up things. Oh yeah. Is that making it worse or is that helping you <clears throat> in some way exercise some of your own stuff? I, I'm, I'm so curious to know how that affects your own personal, cause you can't just shake that off.
2: No, you can't. But I would say it's the latter, and I would say it's catharsis. And again, it's that – it's almost like what I just told people, believe other people who are suffering or going through something, believe their truth. It's almost like I had a little guy inside of me who was like David who was suffering this thing. And I used this artistic opportunity to believe him and, and to listen that's to what him.
1: made him so real and because you're it. rooting it in these actually authentic – horrible oh, yeah, yeah. things that you're feeling and yeah, that's yeah. what people are you know people can read that and in in the in the process of feeling empathy and understanding hopper they're really
2: understanding and being empathetic to david in a weird way yeah but the lucky the great thing and this is something interesting in terms of moving forward in terms of publishing this book which uh is that they're in the um in hopper there's a mask right and and it's it's to me, the greatest acting work is—it's not autobiographical because the details of Hopper are very different from the details right, of me. Right. But it's very personal. Mm-hmm. And like I remember Angelina Jolie when she was younger, like around G or something. She had some interviewer, and she was annoyed at the end. She was and she said something like, "If you want to get to know me, watch my movies." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "That's it. Like you—you kn- you can understand more about me by watching my performances than you can about me talking about myself because." And, and you know, good actors that are using that stuff, you can see it all over the place. You can see these aspects of them that um, are allowed to come, come out through this filter of character, but that are, you know, deeply, you know, d- d- deeply personal things. And I feel like that's what, you know, great writers do as well, or great painters do as well. It's like you get to know who jackson pollock is by standing in front of one of his paintings you know but for better or for worse <laughs> you get to know you get to know who you know uh Saul bellow is by reading if you're looking for it you know like if you're asking those questions i mean i do feel like but that and that but again that's identity it's like do you want to just know the personality quirks or do you want to like know them like to know these things that are you know these primal weird feelings and who who are they? are they are we our conscious choices? are we these primal things that we're using personally? are we our personality quirks like I guess we're we're a pastiche of all of them but yes it's a very uh, you know you're getting to know an aspect of them that they probably wouldn't reveal to you at a cocktail party and, and, and how would they put that into words? I am
1: like this. You hear our words that. It's like, no, you would have to. Ex- because you, you have, have to express it. It's yeah, a, yeah. yeah, it's an expression and it creates an experience. But I do feel like. And, and we circle back to the horrors of social media. <laughs> like, none of that can be expressed in 100 characters. No, and again, you know, like, this is a broad sweeping generalization and this is not true for every situation. But in general, I do feel like empathetic people will always ask questions first and arrogant people will always give you their opinion first. You know what I mean?
2: It's like, yeah. it's like I don't, <laughs> don't you think? I, yeah, but I, I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I give my opinion all the time. <laughs>
1: but, but, we're, but we're all of those things. Of we course, are, we are both course, empathetic and we are both arrogant. Like of no course. one is is any one or the other. But I mean. But this idea of seeking first to understand, to understand you have to ask questions. And so I guess it just means, like, be curious even when you think you know everything because we don't, you know. Like, And it is in your search for spirituality, in your search for God, wherever you are in that point. It's like, oh, no, the question is the important part. And, and that's, I think, a great it's – it's, I will never forget that you said that because it's it, – it's like, oh yeah, maybe that is part of the thing, and we're trying to search for this result-oriented thing, but it's not about that at all because this is all part of a process. And and you know, and as you do bigger and bigger things, and I know we didn't we didn't even talk about Hellboy at all. Oh, yeah. We can talk about Hellboy for like a few, a few minutes. Right, right. If, 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 I mean, because it's <laughs> coming out soon, <laughs> right? Uh, and you know, was that w- when that lands in your lap? Are you are you thinking like? Oh my God! Yes, of course. Or is it like I don't know? Like, am I ready to do this? Do I oh, the want to do that? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah! No, no, no. It's, it's Scared and yeah, don't know and don't know what. And then you know, as the pitch got stronger and the script and all these ideas, I was like, you know, I was like, this is really fun. First of all, the idea of making a monster movie, like a true monster movie, where I'm wearing prosthetics and like a whole thing is when do you get to do that i mean it's like yeah it's like but it's like old school frankenstein like it's not cgi it's like a complete outfit a complete thing it's it's incredible and he's He's so fun
1: and he's a character who there's all these crazy visuals but the Corbett, he's like a deeply flawed complicated guy exactly
2: and at its core it's an identity piece yeah it's like i'm destined to bring about the apocalypse i'm destined and, like, let's just make that genetics. Yeah. My genetics predisposed me to do this awful thing. <laughs> and everything in my power is trying to stem the tsunami. But my genetic, you know, imperative is to do that. And, like, that, that's an interesting play because I have – I mean, then that's what I'm struggling with is this idea of biology versus conscious will. Choice, Yeah. But even co- – co- yeah, so like the idea – and the idea that comes out in the film is that if I choose to go against and do the right thing, I'm actually going to have to sever – like make a devil's bargain, which is like I'm actually going to have to sever something that's painful. Yeah. Like as opposed to something where it's like, oh, yeah, I just give up that bad – it's like, no, no, no. my sexuality is in – like I'll never be able to be in a relationship. I'll never be able to – because monsters are my people. Mm-hmm. Humans are not – that's I mean that's another thing that I found fascinating I find this fascinating about superheroes all the time which they never talk about is like sex like how does Superman and Lois Lane have sex
1: Well, in Superman Two, he (laughs) went into the chamber that uh, made him human. Oh, yeah! So he could have a human penis. So he could have. So he could be human, (laughs) and uh, you know. But I think was it Mallrats where they had that whole thing, or was like, oh, it would blast through someone like a shotgun. You know, he's like his molecular structure. I wouldn't see
2: Mallrats in a million years. Okay,
1: I think I think it might have been Mallrats. So you know,
2: the, yeah. But who does to Kevin Smith for that? If that's where they that ab- absolutely, that's amazing because I do. It is something that I always wonder about, and especially with him because he does have like monster DNA, and he must have monster attraction. Like he's a demon. Yeah. So he wants to like be with the bad girl. He doesn't want to be, but and yet there's something in him that realizes. So he does. He cuts off a piece of himself. Can you choose against your? Nature can you choose against like you said
1: your biology or your neurochemistry, right? Do you want to? Are you supposed to? But ultimately, I think you can, and I think that is an important thing to know, especially with what you're struggling with or whatever anyone is struggling with. The the at least it's it's hopeful
2: to know like you can you you know you can you can choose yeah you can choose yeah and then but then for him too the question and this is to me really interesting about the film too again. I'm talking about the film like it's Sophie's Choice. I mean, it's a fun <laughs> it's, a... <laughs> it's We a know a on fun. Shipmates I made a lot of really complicated...
1: <laughs> like, no, no, I love no, so you. you talk better... about Shipmates as Deadwood. Yeah, like, exactly.
2: Yeah. In the beginning of uh, the series, as we progress through the seasons... The way you see my character develop on the screen. You want me to get on that cocksucking <laughs> boat and <laughs> into that
1: motherfucking cocksucker over there and just it's Very it.
2: interesting. You bring up the awesome mates line <laughs> because that came out of a discussion I was having with the him. sociological treatise known as <laughs> shipmates. But I will go there, Chris, because I, don't I, don't really I am as sincere as anyone. We are committed to but, this. But uh, yes, the the oh God, what was I what was I saying? We were oh, te- the yes. arbitrariness of good and evil in general is like one of the things that the film kind of explores. It's just this idea that, so he's a monster, right? And he himself is chosen to fight monsters for the good of humanity? Like, why? Right. Like, what's so great about human beings? Human beings just fight or just kill monsters. So they're their own, you know... Killers. Well, it depends. Like, so why? Why are It depends are we... on
1: this arbitrary agreement you're talking about. Exactly. Like, if
2: the demons were the protagonists, exactly, then the humans would be like a fucking disease. And he's stuck in a movie called Hellboy, <laughs> still fighting for humans. Yeah. And in the middle of the movie, he kind of goes. Hang on a second. <laughs> Let's really think about this question. And that was one of the things I loved about it was like maybe we should do maybe I should I know everybody well maybe I should do the opposite thing. And so you know, it's like a tension that runs the movie. So yeah, I really liked all those different things and he's like a fun, wacky, like dark dude in this, you know, superhero world where uh I yeah I liked it. and it's a horror movie like it was just really fun and I think how it turned out is like it's it's a really fun movie and it's different than it's scrappy mm-hmm. it's got a scrappy monster feel to it that I really like
1: yeah and I I feel like I think I ran into you at some party or something and you were like oh my god this shooting because where were you shooting in like pro, were you in Czechoslovakia you were Bulgaria? Yeah,
2: yeah. you were like whoa <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it was
2: hard. It was hard. I don't speak. I don't speak the language. Right. And I was in makeup chair. Card. Yeah, some <laughs> crazy, crazy people. And I don't, you know, and I'm in the makeup chair at like three in the morning every day. Uh, It was very hard. It was
3: very, very hard.
2: And I would just go home in my hotel, sleep for like six hours, and I would just consume just chicken. I would just had like, I just had, and then I wouldn't eat the whole thing and they would pile up in my hotel room. Mm -hmm. Just these old containers of moldy chicken. So like to me it's just old containers of moldy chicken and tons of cigarettes. It was just like, yeah, it was, it was hell, boy. (laughs) Cigarettes, uh, uh, bring it back to shipmates. Bringing it back to shipmates. Bringing it back.
1: I mean, listen, I. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you're someone that, like we we would
2: text every once in a while. I think you might have changed your number. I did. No, I I had to change it. Yeah, I'm sure you it had got released. It. I I changed my Instagram account to a business account for those Tide ads.
1: Oh, and it got out.
2: And and it, it it got released on the internet. I was in. I was on uh, a vacation in Hawaii and i changed it over there i had the assistant change it over or something and i i left my phone in the room <laughs> oh, and i went out to the beach and then i was like oh i left my phone and i came back like an hour later and there was 150 missed calls from Wichita Kansas Any good messages? and messages? Like, yeah and like i <laughs> <laughs> like i listened to a couple of them and clearly they were like Big Stranger Things fans, children, 12 year olds who had found this number and <laughs> were like, uh, 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 hi, hi, David, hi, hi. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's really funny. Because oh, yeah, so I, yeah, I know number. I texted you one day, so and it came, it showed uh, every and everyone, up. all the twelve-year-olds listening now, the new number is. But you know, you're yeah. I hope you've been sending uh, vacant texts so that thing. I'll give you the because you, yeah. you're,
1: you're you're one of those guys that no, like and go, God damn it, I want to hang out with that yes, guy. You no, know, no, like, I no. really I really want to hang out the same way about you. I you know, like from the second that I met you at that party. I just had this feeling of, like, I feel like we're going to be friends. Like, you know when you meet someone and it's just like, oh, nice to meet you. I like right. what you do. It's nice to see you. And you go, oh, I may never talk to that person ever again. Not yeah. for any bad reason, but there's just... But as soon as I met you, I think I said to my wife, like, I can't believe he knows what shipmates is. be. And I said, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be friends with that guy. Like, there's just a yeah. certain
2: thing. So it's, Well, it's funny because I... It, the The funny thing about fame later in life is that... You do get to walk into this world of people who like, you know, like when I saw you on Shipmates doing those ridiculous things, <laughs> I was like, I get that guy. Yep. I was like, that guy's a special entity that I really get. <laughs> and so the fact is, I had to do all this work, Chris. I had to give this performance as a Hopper mm-hmm. to get to this point where I can give you my new number. If you know, and listen, we can text about. The next BlizzCon. If
1: are, I, you, are you... If, not, if I mean, know my alcoholic brain the uh, way I think I do, um, your entire story is all about me. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Those were so much fun. The BlizzCons were so much fun. Like they, It is such a wonderful community. And, yeah. and to see it live there... I was afraid I would show up and people would be like "fuck you, dude" from TV, and it right. was the exact opposite. Well, people see, were so because I appreciate them and I respect them and I love them as a community, and I it know. just felt great. Like it was great. Yeah. It I was mean, a that's great. the go thing that I get because
2: I go to cons uh, sometimes and stuff too, and like I find that the the you know the people that show up with that enthusiasm and passion for the thing, I like love them. Yeah. I'm like a shamelessly like love and they would, they would love
1: you because they just again. Everyone just wants to be noticed and appreciated and understood. And so, you know, when you you show up and it's not like me and them and it's just like us, you know, yeah, like it feels cuz we're nerds. It's, like it's I know exactly, I know. It's it's community. And I know. and uh yeah, so I would totally go with you sometime if you wanted to go, but uh <laughs> all right, man. Um Whoa.
2: all right. So thank you so much for being here David Harbor. Thank you for um, having me. This and, has been a crazy discussion, like very intricate, very uh, wow, very big discussion. But I appreciate
1: that you were so open to talk about it because I it's know that pleasure. it helps,
2: you know, even if one
1: person who doesn't understand what's happening to them hears this and it clicks hmm. like you have you will dramatically and in the, in writing this book your experience much in the way you do with acting but also because the book is real will dramatically change
2: a a substantial percentage of people's lives. I hope so. It'd be amazing if people are are you know if it helps people that would be amazing. That would be. You know.
1: It will, and then much in the way that our when we talk about our sobriety, like it affects other people, it's like oh. I'm not suffering through this for no reason, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's yeah. like other
2: people. can That's benefit. a community it, thing, it, too, that's right? The community it's like, yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but now I have to write. God, <laughs> <laughs> uh... that Sunday where you're just hanging out, you know? Nope. And then, imagine uh...
1: how George R. R. Martin feels. Oh God, <laughs> I can't even. write imagine. Imagine. a thousand pages. Well, Drag the
2: thing like those guys like isn't that uh, people write books like it's amazing to me that to me is like true yeah
1: yeah you really just have to be compelled to do that that's that's, that's, that's tough but uh
0: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: Live in the question.
1: Live yeah, in the question. There you go. And, uh, tr- and seek to understand. Yourself and others. Love it. All right. Thanks, man. The end. Um, perfect. Would you find our guest book?
2: Yes, of course.
1: You've just listened to the ID10T podcast number 994 with David Harbour. Um, the uh, word salad wrap today is a little bit of a correction on my part. And if anyone who's uh, studied a lot of self-help or productivity was probably shouting at the podcast uh, when I was, I don't know, listen, sometimes the brain doesn't call up facts and things the way that it should. Um, So I was talking about this idea of Seek first to understand. Seek first to understand, and I couldn't remember like what book did that come from? Where did that come from? And I said David Allen. David Allen, of course, is uh, the getting things done guy. Um, Stephen Covey. It was from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it's actually not even—it's not even the first one. The first habit of, of uh, highly effective people is being proactive. It's habit number five. Uh, all right, seek first to understand, and then to be understood. So uh, that's the idea. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Uh, And as Dr. Stephen R. Covey says, if I were to summarize in one sentence the single most important principle I've learned in the field of interpersonal relations, it would be seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because uh, it was really kind of, I think, Conditioning ourselves, <laughs> if we lead solely social media based lives, to just sort of blurt what we think at people and not as much to communicate. And a communication is an exchange of ideas, not just telling people what our ideas are. And I'm sure, listen, we're all guilty of this. You're in a conversation. Someone's talking at you. But they might as well just be going, blah, 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 because what you're thinking is what you're going to say next (laughs) and not about listening to what it is that they're saying. And it's actually a principle that has uh, influenced how I do the podcast, because people say, well, why don't, you know... Do you prepare anything? And I say no, because if I'm prepared, like in the in the sense of if I have like a line of questioning that I want to hit someone with, then I'm not listening to them. You know, it's not a conversation. Then it's more of an interrogation. And, and I'm not open to listening if I'm thinking about what I want to ask or say rather than just letting it unfold in the moment. So um, I think it's a communication skill that regardless of where we're at in our culture – should be cultivated because it is uh, wildly important to exchange ideas. And it, because, you know, each individual person, and you might have a lot of really amazing ideas, but if you only rely on yourself, then you know for for information, then you're in kind of a cul-de-sac. You're in sort of a a little human and idea cul-de-sac which is not open to cross-pollinating with other ideas, other concepts, other people, learning how to be flexible, learning how to compromise. And you know, I think we are also not conditioning ourselves as a culture to compromise. <laughs> Everything's all or nothing, you know. If something, you know, we can get things suited to our taste so specifically, so it's to such a granular level that we are not conditioned to learn how to compromise. If something is not 100% how we want it, it's like our sworn enemy. And that's not healthy <laughs> because the world will not always give us 100% of what we want, and we have to learn how to deal. You know, we can't uh, be so inflexible that we can't, you know, be able to process things that are not exactly 100% to our specifications. We need to learn to coexist with people. We need to learn to exchange ideas. We need to learn to be, you know, roommates of humanity, I guess, uh, for lack of of a better term. And part of that is learning how to understand first. Even when someone says something that you don't like or someone says something that it doesn't make any sense to you, why did they say that? Were they having a weird day? Do they have different ideas from you that might broaden your perspective? Even if you don't agree with what they're saying, is it possible that you could try to understand it anyway so at least you could figure out where they were coming from? Because... You know it's one thing to not agree with people, but it's another thing to dehumanize them. And I think when we put up walls and we imprison ourselves within our own egos, we're not open to the shared human experience that we're really supposed to have. So, um, you know, I just think it's a better way to live if we can do it. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, and I'm not saying, you know, you know, we a lot of times we teach the things that we need to learn. You know what I mean? So, I I Challenge you, us. I challenge us to learn how to understand more than trying to jam our opinions down people's throat. And I, I did, I, I, and I, I did further kind of expand on that in the podcast where I said, I think you know, empathetic people always ask questions first, and when we get overtaken by arrogance, we blurt out what we think first, and we blurt out. Isn't it kind of funny that we blurt out what we think, and then when we take a step back we might go, actually, if I'm really being honest, I didn't really know everything about that thing. I just blurted out. I just wanted to blurt it out to look smart or to just, you know, mark my opinion territory or to, you know, to protect the fact that I really don't know what I'm talking about or maybe it was just an ego thing or or even if I am right, maybe there's other perspectives that I hadn't considered, even if mine is right, who knows. But um, it is... You know it is a challenge because it's it feels better to us to just you know surround ourselves with ourselves, as the famous uh, Yes song. Don't surround yourself with yourself. So that's it. That's a little word salad wrap for today. Seek first to understand. I apologize to Dr. Stephen R. Covey for not being able to conjure that that uh, <laughs> the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and uh, and what are the seven habits? Uh, well, I'll just tell you what they are now, and then maybe you'll, uh, look up the book later. Habit one, be proactive. Habit two, begin with the end in mind. Habit three, put first things first. Habit four, think win-win. Habit five, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Habit six, synerg- synergize. Habit seven, sharpen the saw. So if that titillates you in any way, then you will go, uh, look up the seven habits of highly effective people. And maybe you will be a highly effective person, but even if you don't, it's totally fine. Just... Do your best to understand, be a good citizen of the world, and uh, not just for the world but also for yourself because it will increase your wisdom uh, and, and, and give you more value to you uh, as well. Um, so there you go. That's it. That's the word salad wrap. As always, I appreciate you, and uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you in your ears next week.
0: ID 10T scanning Complete. Enjoy your burrito.